0: Welcome to Writing the Wrong Way. This is a podcast for serious writers who want to develop their skills in artistry and stand out in a crowded industry by taking intelligent, creative risks. I'm your host, Jonathan Ball. I hold a PhD in literature. I'm the author of uh, numerous books, and I take a very analytical approach to art making, emphasizing both efficiency and experimentation. My guest today is David Annandale, and we're talking about writing tie-in fiction, now, David Annandale, uh, if you don't know his work, is hands down the fastest writer I know, and he's he writes you know his quote unquote his own books like books that he you know owns a copyright to that aren't tie in uh, fiction, you know. But he's done like some spy thrillers that we talk really briefly about I think uh, with Jen Blaylock as his sort of titular spy character. He has a horror novel which is outstanding called gethsemane hall uh, that book is you know kind of flew under the radar a little bit but it's really outstanding really really recommend gethsemane hall go get a copy of that book before it's sold out um, because it's phenomenal um, and uh, of course he's written as we talk about in this interview for the black library uh, you know warhammer forty thousand uh, tabletop game and you know book series I can't even tell you how many books he's done. Like every time I turn around, this guy finishes and publishes a new book. Like it's—we did this interview a few years ago. I forget how many books he had at that time. He's got like three times as many books now. Like, it's only been a couple of years, and he's like literally doubled the amount of books that he has uh, out in the world. And you know what? These are good books. So uh, I haven't read all of David Anandil's stuff. You know, I try to read pretty much everything I can by people before I interview them. Um, Anandil, at this time, I read the interview or I did the interview, he had, I'd published, I'd read most of the stuff he'd published, but, you know, he outpaced me, like, like, literally, like, the next week, there was, like, five more books out. It's just ridiculous. Um, and you know what? All the stuff I read, for the pace he's kept, kept up, it's actually really good stuff. You'd think, like, going that pace, it would not be great. But you know what? This guy can write, and, uh, you know, and really kind of interesting, weird things. Like, so, for example, I mean, I'm not usually a, I don't know anything about Warhammer 40,000 other than like what I've read in his books. Like I've never played the game um, and so on. You know, I I was, my friend was trying to get me into playing the game at one point, but, um, two things happened. One is I was like, this game seems like it's going to be expensive to play because I'm going to collect toys. And, you know, once you start collecting one, you get another one, where does it end? Um, so, you know, I'm not saying don't play Warhammer, you know, <laughs> David and Dale would want you to play Warhammer and it it looked like a great game to be frankly honest. It's just that I was like very reluctant to get into it because I was like I could see this becoming an obsession. I don't know uh, if I want to go down that road. And then also my friend died. Uh and so uh like, you know, that's the guy I was going to play Warhammer with really. So, anyway, A couple of reasons I didn't get into it personally, but I did start reading these books once Dale started writing them because initially I was just like, I'm kind of curious, you know, and plus he's you a friend. I want to support him. Um, You know, I really like these books. And and the one I would particularly recommend is a book called The Damnation of Pythos. So Gethsemane Hall is a non-Warhammer book that I highly recommend. Uh, And The Damnation of Pythos is the... Warhammer book that I most recommend you are know, the ones I read. Uh, really interesting, you know, f- book in many many ways. Um, it's pretty standalone. Like I understood more or less everything that was going on, and I didn't again have the real background in Warhammer. Um, but it also like does a thing that uh, Andil's really good at doing. This uh, he um, will often sneak in weird. Uh, references and concepts from like complex post structuralist literary theories so, like he's big into Deleuze and Guattari and I'm literally like reading Demination of Pithos this like warhammer tie in fiction he's got actual like concepts from Deleuze and Guattari as plot points and plot devices and it works fine like if you didn't know uh, anything about you know you know Deleuze and Guattari and schizoanalysis, and so on. If you don't know what that word means, um, you could you know, read this book and not have a clue that he's sneaking all this stuff by you. But he is, you know, really interesting stuff. So anyway, check it out. Uh, if you go to the show notes at jonathanball.com slash uh, 11. So again, jonathanball.com slash 11. You can get links to all that stuff and uh, learn more about Annandale, and Dale. And there's also a video uh, version of this, again, a Skype. This is one of the older interviews again. I'm kind of like putting out some of these older interviews before I kind of get into the newer ones. Uh, And that's a Skype um, call that we were on. Uh, So you can watch the video for that if you like, Um, or you can of course listen to this. Uh, Regardless, you know, enjoy the interview with David Annandale. Welcome David Annandale. Uh, Thanks so much for talking to me about uh, Thai and fiction. So, uh, which is something that uh, I, I get asked a lot about I don't know a whole lot about it myself and you're the person I know you know who is certainly uh, the authority on it uh, in my in my world and uh, has been really just killing it with book after book uh, uh there was one point I remember when we had about the same amount of books out and then like a week later you had twice as many books <laughs> it, it fit, it, that's At least as how it felt you know um so in the grim darkness of the far future, there's only war, is the amazing you know, Warhammer tagline. And uh, I was wondering if you could maybe just begin with talking a bit about what Warhammer 40,000 is uh, and how you started writing Warhammer tie-in fiction.
1: Well, Warhammer 40,000 is a tabletop war game uh, with, uh, where you uh, players play as uh, one of a number of uh, different uh, uh, armies, whether they're the the human Imperium side, so uh, which you know, involve primarily Space Marines, but also uh, more uh, more non-enhanced humans as well. And then you have Eldar, which are futuristic elves. You have the orcs, uh, who have all kinds of tanks and laser beams that Tolkien's orcs would have loved to have gotten their hands on. <clears throat> uh the Tyranids, uh, which are these very alien hive intelligence monsters uh chaos demons and and the like <clears throat> and uh, so the the human imperium and of course as the name suggests, is set in the very distant future uh humanity's civilization has devolved into a an absolutely dystopian uh, galactic empire. So, if uh, it's a kind of worst-case scenario of of the future, and uh, the so the environment combines uh, war, Lovecraftian horrors, uh, and uh, well, and all. It's this one-stop shopping of kind of sci-fi, horror, uh, uh, epic combat, uh, all in one place. So that's the, uh, the the context of the game, and the the fiction then tells the stories related to the the figures. The way I got involved with writing for the Black Library was that they issued an open call for an anthology, which uh, was uh, Treacheries of the Space Marines, and they were looking for stories about one of four characters. I, uh, 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 this, at this point I was really hoping to get into uh, writing for them, so I put together a proposal for a story that became the Carrion Anthem. Sent uh, sent that in a few months later. I heard back uh, from uh, one of the editors, Christian Dunn, who liked my proposal. Said, "Go ahead, write the story," uh, which I did. They liked the story. Said, "Send us more," uh, and uh, I followed that up with a pitch for uh, the book that uh, became The Death of Antagonists, and uh, uh, I was off to the races. So it's been, and it's uh, been yeah you know, enormous fun working very steadily for them ever since
0: so does that seem like a typical approach to breaking into uh, this sort of a tie in f- fiction industry, or have you noticed that that's what other people have done or uh, is this an atypical approach like like how do you feel that experience compares to what normally happens?
1: Um, I think it varies enormously uh, the depending on which uh, which end of the industry uh, you're at? I think there's, as with any the industry, there tends, uh, there's going to be connections. So uh, the uh, people editors getting in touch with writers they already know, uh, you know, is, is is going to have some effect there. Um, there, but there are publishers who will open things up, right? So Black Library doing that allowed me to uh, uh, to get in. Uh, since they were actively looking for new writers, and I know that they, they continue to do that. Uh, the they used to have a um, a period where there was an open window uh, for for uh, for anyone to send uh, uh, submissions in. They've had to uh, because of the sheer volume of 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 submissions, now uh, make them much more targeted. So there'll they'll be periodically calls for particular projects uh, where they will invite uh, people to send in their pitches. Uh, other publishers um, have things a little bit like this. Uh, Abaddon Books, I believe, uh, once a year, they have a somewhat more open... Uh, pitch period, or, or people submit uh, proposals for um, either universes that they're coming up with, or for stories in Abaddon's existing universes. Uh, and um, some of that's less specifically tie-in fiction, but the, but they're, it, it is related. Um, and yeah, for as for some of the other uh, tie-in markets, uh, yeah, I, re- I really wouldn't wouldn't know for sure.
0: And um, to what degree did the fact that you'd published books previously uh, matter?
1: Um, Well, for that, I guess you'd have to ask one of the editors. I don't know. I I think it probably helped uh i certainly when i was a, when i was putting the uh my proposal together i was able to prevent, present myself as a uh pro author uh, i already had 3 books uh, to my name when i said uh, i want to write for you and here's stuff i've already done i've already written books with large scale combat so i know what i'm doing um at least uh, that was that was how i um i put together my my query letter but i do know uh of some uh writers, some uh, who have uh, had made sales to them who have not had that experience. Uh, I uh a couple of years ago, uh, when I was uh, in Nottingham for the uh, Black Library uh, Weekender, uh, there was a special session uh, on the Friday for uh, aspiring writers to talk to uh, those of us who were writing for Black Library and to sort of workshop their stories, and then they were invited to submit pitches. And one of the, uh, the, the fellows that uh, I met there uh, did make a sale. So, uh, and as far as I know, that would have been his first professional sale. So the, I think my, uh, my track record probably didn't hurt, but I also know that it's, it wasn't, uh, the only way to get in.
0: Okay. And so again, you've done, uh, I guess by the time this first book came out, we were trying to figure out exactly the timeline, but you'd done at least three thrillers, uh, with the Jen Blaylock character. Uh, yeah. With Turnstone Books, you had, you were in the process, I believe, of selling your horror novel, your first straight up you know, horror novel, Gethsemane Hall, uh, when you started doing the Black Library writing. You know, that book was done and it was, you know, kind of in en route towards publication. So you'd had, like I say, three, basically four books um, be, as you're getting towards your first uh, Black Library novel. Right, like your first actual book with them, um, as opposed to, you know, some short fiction and so on. And one thing I'm kind of so, – so you do do your own writing and you write for the Black Library. Uh, to what degree do you see that – your work with the Black Library, you know, as a sort of, quote, unquote, you know, media tie-in writer, uh, to what degree do you see that as, you know, presenting different challenges or opportunities than the work that you would be doing I guess as an independent uh, author in a sense I mean every author is sort of independent but uh, if you know what I'm saying like you're not just doing one or the other which I think no. is you know sometimes the case uh, or at least historically people have thought about that being the case you know you're very much you know doing both um, uh, and even as you I mean I mean just from a it may look like you kind of had stopped doing your thing and gone to do black yeah. library work, but you are, I know, very much doing both. Um, so I'm just wondering what challenges or it presents to do both uh, and why you, you, you are doing both as opposed to, say, just doing one.
1: Well, the, the challenge is, in some ways, wor- is I think the primary challenge is working in the original work. And I, uh, I mean, there are a lot of time fiction writers who do do both. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm certainly, uh, f- I, I'm in no way an exception there. Uh, and the, the, the challenge is, is, is finding the, is, is juggling. And uh, it's certainly one that I'm still uh, working with. I, uh, I am hoping to get uh, some uh, real headway on uh, the follow up to Gethsemane Hall done uh, this summer but the the fact of the matter is with tie uh work, you have a deadline, and uh they're they 're firm, and you have to get the work in by deadline, so it takes priority and uh, which means that the original work has to fit in in the crev- the, 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 the margins of time. To the extent that they exist at all, and that has been a challenge. I've written uh, since I started working with uh, with the Black Library. I've I've written a few original short stories, uh, and uh, done some outlining work on a couple of novels, and uh, done, and some preliminary chapters, but uh, I've I i have not yet uh, put out another original novel, and it's. It's certainly not a problem that I resent having uh, by <laughs> any stretch. Uh, the uh, I, I love the work I'm doing with Black Library, and the I I, um, I I find myself i consider myself extremely fortunate that this is the challenge that I'm I'm, I'm having to to work with. Uh, so that's the I think the, the main issue is is, is is juggling it, finding the way of getting the other work out while. Uh, uh, Meeting the expectations and the deadlines uh, of the uh, the the publisher for the the tie-in fiction
0: yeah as you say I mean it's certainly not a bad problem to have so with so many writers the problem is you know getting their work done and getting their work out you know around yeah. some other pro you know job that they're doing uh, I mean you do have another job but like in some ways you you know the problem getting this book out is I gotta put these ten books out <laughs> like it's certainly yeah. not the worst problem to have
1: uh, no no by any means at all uh, no it it's it really is it it's one of the best problems one could possibly have as a writer i think yeah. it's i mean i i really do i i'm very very conscious of just how lucky uh i am to be at at this stage i mean i look back at where i was in the uh in the 90s where i felt like i couldn't get myself arrested uh as, as far as being a writer was concerned and uh this is this is a much 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 nicer place to be
0: how does writing in a shared universe work? So this is not just a universe that you haven't created, but it's a universe that uh, others are actively creating, you know, as Mm -hmm. even you're adding to it and uh, expanding it. Uh, So you're not only in this position where, in many respects, again, you're working in this existing field, uh, but you're also working in there with other people. And and there's a degree to which, um, you know, uh, you're all in the same sandbox. And I'm curious to know, like, Exactly. How does that work? You know, how is it different in a a kind of functional, practical way, like in terms of things you would actually think about while writing? uh, How is it different from you know when you're sort of in control of that sandbox? Uh, You know, what are the benefits of it? What are the drawbacks of it? You know, you know, how do you kind of negotiate that, and how is it different from your other writing?
1: Well, the. I guess the, there's going to be a, a um, collaborative aspect, even when uh, you the it, it could be quite distant or it could be um, quite tight. It, it depends on the nature of the project. Uh, you are aware, certainly, of, of the other writers working in um, in the same area. Well. I should say it, it, it varies a lot. For instance, with *The Horus Heresy*, uh, there uh, that that line of, uh, of black library books, which is dealing, well, it's set in the uh, the, the 31st millennium, uh, and is the, uh, the the epic tale of the uh, the galactic civil war that sets the stage for all of the misery and horror ten thousand years down the road. Uh, so that is a uh, an actual series. Right so that involves meetings um, with the the editors discussions of who's going to tell what story what's happening in this story that's going to have an effect with this on this person's work uh, the so, so we we people know what people are doing and uh, and we all have our particular stories to be uh, concentrating on so but then that's where there's an actual series right uh, so it involves an, uh, a, a greater degree of um, of communication. Uh, in um, other stories, there may be um, uh, you're working with a character that somebody else has done something with, but they haven't really done it. They're not working on them now. So it may simply be enough to uh, have a look at what somebody else has already done and then you go and do your thing, uh, You know, falling within the canon of that established character. Um, uh, so, it, it, it really varies enormously. It may be as simple as getting in touch with another writer and saying, Hey, I'm planning on doing this. That's not going to interfere with something you're doing over there, is it? Uh, in other cases, there may not be, um, you know, the, 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 it, there's just a little bit of background material that uh, you get. Um, well, or well, I shouldn't say a little. There's often a lot of background material, but it, some of it may just be the uh, a lot of it may just be the, the, the generally available material as opposed to uh, specific briefs for, um, for for the project. So, it you know each project is very, can be very different, and the, uh, the, the degree of interaction with uh, the other creators uh, will depend on the individual uh, you know, the, on the individual work.
0: A lot of what you're doing seems to be uh, character specific. Like, for example, you you seem to have becomes you seem to have taken over Yark, uh, in a manner of speaking. I don't know if that's precisely true, but like you seem to really tied to that character. Uh, is that true, or is that just uh, the randomness of the moment?
1: Well, uh, there had. Um, Yarik is a character who, though he'd had some walk-ons in some other uh, fiction or or, or brief roles, uh, prior to Chains of Golgotha, uh, there hadn't been any uh individual works solely about him except for a short story called uh survivor which uh was was Yarick as a small child uh but uh, with an adult there'd been uh there hadn't been anything except for uh brief appearances so so the stuff i did with him was the first yarick centered uh, uh, books Uh, so that gave me a certain degree of free reign um in the in the creation of the character, again, though, uh, trying to keep him, keeping true to the character as described in the, the codexes, in the, in the rule books, essentially, of the, of, for the game. And in fact, Chains of Golgotha was a, uh, the, the events there are described in a single sentence in the timeline of the universe of the, uh, of the core rule book. And so there was me expanding that to, uh, to novella length. In the case of Imperial Creed, there that was uh, a kind of origin story for Yarick, and there I had a, a greater degree of freedom because there really wasn't anything about that uh, particular, uh, uh, apart from a few fragments here and there, uh, as to what what, uh, what his earlier career was about was like. Um, and it, it's true that there are uh, certain. Uh, writers uh, will tend to uh, focus on particular characters. There, there's some uh, continuity there, but it's um, it, it's not a, a hard and fast rule either. So uh, there will be. Um, so though um, uh, Nick Heim, uh is the uh, uh, is, is is the Salamander guy, right? Uh, as, as well as being one of the uh, 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 one of the edit one of my editors. And, uh, and so he has, um, he's, he's done this wonderful series of, of, of books about the, the space brains called the, Ch- uh, the Salamanders. Uh, but one of the first assignments he gave me after the death of Antagonist was writing a novella about Salamanders uh, that then became part of, uh, of Overfiend. And so there um, I was writing about my own particular group of Salamanders but uh, wanting it to be very true to what he had been establishing with his series.
0: So just to, just
1: to go back to Yark for
0: a second. So what in that one sentence sort of attracted to you to um, the character, or 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 I guess you also would have read the story in that case, probably. But like, what attracted you to that character, and what, what when you're kind of mining through this material, thinking of, you know, well, where 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 is there a story? Yeah. Uh, because there's so much of this existing material. Uh, I would imagine in some weird way, like the the problem might be less, you know. I've got so, you know, where's the idea? But, you know, what? how do I narrow it down? Like, like of all this material, yeah. where's the thing I want to latch on to when, when you're actually pitching a story to them? Because it sounds like you would also be approached for to-do stories. Uh, and as you say, you're pitching story concepts and material to them. Uh, it seems to me like you're doing a combination of that. And so I guess when you are pitching material or even when you're assessing, you know, something that's kind of being you're being approached with, what is it in there that attracts you or that um
1: uh, you know kind of makes the case for you well it it again it um it depends a lot on on the circumstances in the case of of yarick uh so i was approached by nick to uh to write the yarick books and uh and I and then and so we we had a, uh, a Skype meeting talking about uh, you know what directions we might take and what the first one uh, would would be and since that was going to be of novella length it had to be an incident that was relatively contained and uh, I the and and so I, I think in fact it was his suggestion to um, look at uh, the the events on Golgotha but I had been long been fascinated by uh, the the entry in the the timeline in the rule book reads as, as in this way. Commissar Yarick and Warlord Gazgul finally come face to face on the battlefields of Golgotha. Yarick is captured but ultimately released by Gazgul, uh, who's the kind of mega orc. Um, as the warlord is planning to invade Armageddon once more and wants a good fight. And so I I'd, I'd always been, I've been, was fascinated by that entry and wondering, well what's the story here? Uh, at that point never imagining that I would get to write that story so so that was a, a, a contained one and 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 I'd already been wondering well what you know what is the background here so what um uh being able to flesh that out was a wonderful opportunity and fourth and in in the case of of that there's also uh, in the various books there's all sorts of references to the events on Golgotha so that I, I could latch onto this detail that detail oh the his tank the fortress of arrogance first shows up here so I, have to, I can bring that in uh, in other cases, uh, now there's been some other instances where I've been approached for a particular project where um, I might be given something very close to a full outline, or or at least a a paragraph saying, "Okay, this is everything that that needs to happen in this story," so that gives me a framework to start with. Uh, but in other instances, it might just be, "We need a story about this person," um, and it can be, you know, whatever, just be about that and. So uh in the case of uh, of Imperial Creed there um I had a, a free, uh, free hand to, uh, to come up with a uh, uh, the Yarik adventure there. In the case of the forthcoming uh, uh, Yaric novel, The Pirates of Armageddon, there, uh, this is one of the, the epic battles uh, of, uh, of Warhammer 40,000 lore. There were lots of details I was able to draw on as far as the, the major events of, of that book uh, are concerned.
0: And are those details a help or a hindrance? Like, to what degree is the existing material, like, to what degree do you want stuff that has all these gaps? And to what degree is you know something that's more filled in or fleshed out uh, helpful?
1: I think they um, they're both fine. It's it's a. uh... They invite different ways to play. So on the one hand, if it's just if it's a um, it's just this character and whatever you want to do, uh, so you're free to come up with any anything you like, uh, and and that's fun. But the other is um, the, the the way I in fact the, uh, a further case of how I think of time fiction fiction uh, in general is the difference between a sandbox that is just a sandbox and or a sandbox that has a whole bunch of toys in it right Uh and it's not that uh the empty sandbox is impoverished or that the the one with the toys is cluttered. Uh I, I think I well, uh I viewing either in that way would be a mistake. Rather it's like, "Oh, these are the wonderful toys I can play with. Here's the structure that I can build on." Or all right, now I have a uh, a blank page to construct what I want. So, it's a uh I think the important thing is to love what you are writing and to find the excitement. Uh, in it, and seeing either option as the the means you have in this particular instance uh, to get excited about the work
0: and are you also just you personally are you also looking for opportunities for horror because I know that you know <laughs> as a not just a horror you know fan and, and horror writer but as a academic you're very interested in this idea of horror as a thing that is not a genre per se but as a almost a parasite on genres and and i and i do sort of see you in your work especially in particular books like the damnation of pithos you know really going full bore towards kind of a horror uh story structure or or a horse the many of the tones and tropes in, in a sense oh eh, and you do have a world where there are demons. You know, there is this chaos uh, behind everything. I mean, it's very much the great god Pan and that kind of veil with the chaos behind it when you start getting into descriptions of the warp and so on. Um, so I'm just curious to know, to what is that something you're actively thinking about when you're going with, for this material? Are you just, like, the genre or, you know, a thing we might consider a genre like or not, like horror? Uh, does that sort of tonal approach important to you and try to select projects in here? Or is it just something you're just doing regardless?
1: Well, I I naturally gravitate that way uh, since I, I guess I, I feel myself to be I mean ho- horror um, I'm a horror writer probably first uh, or that, that's that's certainly what, what my formation has been uh, and so I, I skew dark that way but this is one of the things that attracted me to Warhammer forty thousand in the first place it's the, this uh, this kind of one stop shopping collision of all of my favorite genres in one one place so it's got the the SF it's got the horror there, it has the the uh, the war it's, it's Everything, um, and uh, so there, so there's a, a lot of different um, uh, tones I can play with in in the works. But yeah, I, I do tend to move towards horror. The Damnation of Pythos is certainly the most uh, full-on horror novel I've written for them. Uh, but the uh, also these are the. the um, uh, th- this is this is hardly a secret uh, to my editors either, and and so uh, I'll I get lots of projects uh, sent my way that um, are a good fit uh, for me as, as a writer. It's like okay, here go nuts on the uh, on on the horror here, uh, do do your thing. So it's um, again the um, it's not so much seeking out a particular project for that uh but seeing you know in, in many of the cases the the stuff i'm asked to work on i can see the horror potential in there uh and so i've um, i remember uh, on a couple of uh, occasions putting, oh gee am i pushing this too far and and uh then uh, getting feedback go further uh so <laughs> it's uh, uh it was like okay here i go um So yeah, it's uh, again. It 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 hasn't. It's not a question of me having to try to find it. Uh, There's been, I I think, a a really good um, mix of. uh, Well, I I feel that I'm being invited to do uh, the projects that uh, I'm. um, uh, How should I say? I have a predisposition for in the first place
0: great and can you talk a bit about like the process of how these books develop uh so you know you got some sort of pitch either from them to you or you to them you've got you know i guess an, an acceptance or a kind of the ball starts to roll this thing gets greenlit uh um how is it kind of staged towards a novel like uh, you you're doing various outlines and treatments that are approved by the editors before you begin writing yeah. or are you kind of is that correct
1: yeah, the I mean the again it'll it'll depend on the on the project, okay. uh, but in, in broad terms there will be a sense of okay we'd like you to do uh, X now, uh, and so and if, if we're talking about a novel, so then uh, my job is to uh, to put together the pitch for project X, and that will be a chapter by chapter breakdown. Okay. And so then we go back and forth uh, until the the outline is looking good, at which point the commission happens, and uh, and then I write the book. So is that something? Would
0: that document be something akin to a, a film treatment, like that kind of chapter by chapter breakdown? Like how how long would it be? How how what? Just in a general sense, or is there a general um, case?
1: It's uh, well the in the case of a novel it would probably be um, uh, a couple of thousand words sure. uh, it's uh, honestly the uh, the outlines that I uh, the chapter by chapter breakdowns that I do uh, for them are not that different from what I would do for an original novel um, so that I you know I, I map out what's going to happen in every one of the chapters and then I I, I know where I'm going and and and, and as with uh, novels I mean uh original work there's going to be some changes that will happen right that uh the what when once you um i mean they're not going to be so radical that uh, okay no you know uh, uh, the planet is not going to blow up at the end <laughs> of uh uh but uh you know you 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 discover that certain things that, need, that will go better um as, as you go along but um yeah the uh the, the, at least the, the outlines that, that I do for them are um, at least feel to me like uh, well, the, the, the kind of standard chapter uh, by chapter outline I would do for any novel
0: and uh, maybe this is a good time for a slight kind of digression like could you talk a little bit about outlining a novel uh, and and you know did you always do that um, when to what degree do you feel that's integral to your process uh because you, you do have you know writers that do it, writers that don't do it. I've started gravitating more towards working from outlines and so on um, uh, for a variety of reasons. But uh, I'm wondering if that's something you've always done or something that uh, you, know, you really started doing in earnest when necessary.
1: It wasn't something I used to do. I used to uh, resist the idea of the outline. I thought it would be constricting and uh, you, know, you know, you know, smother my dream or whatever. Uh, the my first, the first, um, see, the first uh, four novels that I wrote, which would be three trunk novels and Crown Fire. Uh, were written, were, were essentially pantsed, uh, they had uh, little to no outlining done. The later stages of Crown Fire, uh, the, the outli- I started to outline more, um, as I was sort of uh, juggling all of the plot threads and realizing, yeah, I, I need to know where this is going, uh, I can't just be making this up as, as I go along. After Crown Fire uh, is the, the uh, is where the big shift happens. From Cornucopia onwards, I outline, uh, I've, I've outlined, and uh, I feel like you know one of these you know the, the former smoker who becomes the proselytizing uh, 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 and uh, non-smoker. Uh, I would never go back. Uh, I absolutely swear by outlining. Now, it, I was my younger self was wrong. I want to go back and tell him that you're an <laughs> idiot. It doesn't constrain you. It's not a limitation on the, uh, the on your imagination. It gives you the structure, so you know where you're going. And if you need to change it, you change it. Um, I the, the the process I use uh, I, uh, is a variation of what Sid Field describes in the uh, his screenwriter's workbook, and. Uh, I think it was uh, Stephen R. George who who put me on to uh, this, this method and it has worked like a dream. I noticed one of the differences, for instance, uh, between uh, Crown Fire and Cornucopia, uh, and though I hope that some of the changes here was simply that uh, I was getting better as a writer, but the fact remains that the... Uh, The first novel, which um, did not have an outline in the editing process, lost a third of its length. Close to 50,000 words were cut. Uh, Whereas the outlined cornucopia, uh, the final draft is pretty close to what the first draft was that that I turned in. The editing uh, was a snap compared to what I had to go through with, uh, with Crown Fire. So... I think that – and that experience certainly served me in, in good stead so that with, with tie-in fiction, it has to be outlined, right? The, uh, the, you have to turn in something that – so the editors know what the book is that you're, um, you're going to be uh, turning in. It, it's, it's, uh, it, it's necessary. And so that was something that I was already doing. Right. It, it already felt completely natural to me uh, to do that. I wouldn't want to get started on a novel now that I hadn't already fully outlined. I actually really enjoy the process now.
0: And, and can you maybe talk about why it's necessary? Because on one level, I understand, of course, you know, they are shepherding this flock of writers, and, and you know, the, the stories have to kind of connect, in a sometimes they have to go in certain places. I mean, there is a vision uh, that. You know, in many respects, is the editor's vision. Uh, in in so as you know how all the parts are connecting, but there's also, a, from what I understand, just you know, pure simple practical matters. You know, they're going to have some guy designing this cover while you're writing this book. Um, you know, I, from what I understand, there's a there's a machine rolling, and you yeah. know, if the writer starts screwing up the machine, um, it could cause all sorts of chaos.
1: Well, yeah, is that I mean, true the... or is that not? well I think in, in perhaps in, in, in broad terms definitely the uh, well the the, the the project that the thing that you're working on has to be approved right yeah. uh, this is the story that we need in this particular context on this particular subject featuring this particular these particular characters yeah, by this day, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, because sometimes those um, those books are going to be tied into specific releases, mm. uh, and uh, so what what is the story you're going to be telling? It, you know, we, we that has to be established so that uh, when we give you the green light to uh, tell this story, we know that the story you're telling makes sense, that it is uh, the right fit for this character. Uh, that, that you have the right feel uh, for this character that uh, you know you're writing about uh, the blood angels they aren't going to have helium balloons showing up at, at, at some point right I mean I'm exaggerating for effect yeah. but uh, the it, you know the, the editors have to know that you know what you're talking about uh, so um, that uh, and, and and that's on on top of if this is tied into a specific release uh, or in a series, uh, does it does the story work, right? Are you hitting the beats that uh, that, that are needed? Uh, so once again, it, it'll it'll vary from project to project. Uh, the um, also it's um, it may not be a case simple of uh, you know is it going to connect well with what we are establishing here, but. Uh, you know, most fundamentally of all, is it a good story, mm-hmm. right? Um, is this something that is going to make for a good book? Oh, look, the you know, uh, well, one of the things that um, uh, the uh, I think would I think it was with um, well, uh, when I was working on Mephiston, uh, there the the first outline I turned in was really well, it wasn't that good. Um, I hadn't. Um, I, I wasn't giving him an epic enough story, right? And uh, I, I, I had the feel for the kind of, of of tale it should be all wrong. I needed to go a lot bigger, uh, so we, I went back to the drawing board and uh, came up with with another idea, and, and which was turned out to be much better, and and was also a much more fun story for me to to work on. In other cases, I, I, I had something else fairly recently where the the, the outline wasn't. Um, it wasn't too bad necessarily, but I had some events going on there which are kind of similar to what somebody else had already done fairly recently. So okay, let's change that around. Uh, but the you know over and but again that, that fundamental is is this good? Right? Is this gonna be an exciting uh, story for the readers? Uh, and I have turned in some outlines that in the early stages, yeah. Yeah, you know, the, the 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 stuff there that, that you know needs fixing, and uh, I've been very very uh, grateful, very fortunate for the uh, the feedback I've I've had from the editors to turn these into into the stories that are uh, that are going to work. And certainly, if um, uh, whatever issues there might be, um, uh, if if, if, the, if the stories aren't working, then that's entirely my fault because the uh, the, the, the feedback that I got uh, has invariably been terrific.
0: I've I've become a real convert to outlining, uh, not just for stories, but also for, you know, book length project to some poetry yeah. and so on, just because uh, t- to me, when I start editing other people's work, uh, one of the first things I do is just make an outline of what they've already produced. And you can almost it always spot problems, you know, always yeah. spot the narrative mistakes. You see when something isn't escalating properly or at all. I mean, I find that most serious problems are structural problems um, once a writer is beyond the position of being able you know, to write well, right? Um, and, and for my own work, what I started doing heavily was you know, after doing first drafts, I would just make an outline of the draft I'd produced, and I would spot so many issues, and I would fix so many problems before I could begin a second draft. Um, you know, it, it does, I think, in a way... Become free you up to really even experiment and play around more. Yeah, and not just yeah. with the structure, but also on like a sentence by sentence level. Because one, you can kind of you know complicate the structure uh, as you're doing some outlining, and two, you can you know when you've got that sort of structure in, in place, you've got so much flexibility now in, to to mess around inside of it, knowing that the structure will hold. Um, And that, you know, as as crazy as you might be on the ground level here, you know, the cathedral will stand uh, because I put a foundation underneath it and so on and so forth. And it has, you know, enough walls and, um, you know, it is, I think, I, 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 like you, I used to see it as very restrictive. And now I see it as a very freeing thing that has really allowed me to to do more complicated structures. Uh, And I think, you know, be producing, you know, better and better uh, work.
1: Um, sorry. I was going to say, well, it's, it's like a roadmap. Uh, yeah. You can't get lost now. You always know where you're going. I find that the issues of, of getting blocked are much rarer or at least much smaller. And they, it, it, you know that this is going to happen in this chapter, right? You may have to work out a few details on exactly what, you know, uh, how we get to this particular scene. But there's no more writing myself into a corner and it's like, uh, oh man, <laughs> and now what? And you can work out of order. Which you know, I don't know
0: if you necessarily do that, but like I, really found like I can work non-linearly in a way that is. So if I just don't want to write the next scene, I should write. Well, I'll write a later scene, you know. And, I, and a lot, and that's such a simple thing to do as a writer. But you know, there are those days where you know, you just are exhausted and you feel sick and you're, you know, you feel stupid. And well, I do know, you know, there's this thing coming up and I could really push on that. It'll be relatively easy to write. The thing in front of me is hard. Well, I don't have to like give up today because today is too hard for me. You know, I could do something else. I mean, I just think it has there's flexibility in so many respects, even down to the nitty gritty of you know what am I going to do in the next hour? You know, now it's more flexible because I have you know this roadmap, as you say, this plan. Uh, I can even take a detour if I want to test something out, uh, and you know, understanding that of course um, there's no uh, there's no need to incorporate it back into the structure you know it could be a test you know I'll do a lot of tests which I think is something I don't see a lot of writers doing except unconsciously when they have no outlines Um, you know so yeah one of these days we should have like a long outline discussion (laughs) but I I want to kind of jump back to this metaphor of the sandbox you know I really feel like one of the things that is uh, interesting about time fiction is how it, it does have a certain Connection to non in fiction in the sense that regardless you're in a sandbox that other people have played in. So if you're writing a science fiction novel, you know, uh, for Star Wars, or if you're writing a science fiction novel, you know, for yourself. I mean, you have this. Um, there are other people there. You didn't invent science fiction, uh, and therefore, you know, there's a tradition of literary history to be dealt with. Um, there are toys there already. The haunted house is not your invention, you know, but you right. can right Gethsemane hall which is your invention uh, and, and you can uh, you know and, and to me there it's an interesting it's, it's it's analogous in certain ways although i think it's invis it's not seen as that but there's a maybe a clearer parallel in so far as these uh like in lovecraft uh, for example and people playing in the lovecraft the mythos um, like to what degree do you see the sort of shared universe collaborations that happen in you know, the kind of work that you're doing or, or in similar you know, kind of tie-in fiction fields? To what degree do you see them as, as having meaningful parallels to the kind of shared universe work with Lovecraft and you know some of his peers that he would co-write with and uh, shadow write well- for and so on? Uh, you know, How do you just feel it relates generally to other fiction cultures, I guess it's... It- kind of the broader question.
1: Well, the the funny thing is, when I was uh, submitting my uh, my initial pitch for uh, for Black Library and uh, was you know trying to establish, apart from the, the the sample that I submitted of the story that I wanted to write, but trying to, try to uh, say, hey, look, you should take me seriously, uh, uh, get me to do this. Uh, uh, what I gave as an example of, uh, yeah, I can do this tie-in fiction stuff, was that I'd written a Cthulhu Mythos story. Uh, so, which was the <laughs> really the only thing I had in my um, Uh, my track record uh, or my bibliography uh, that that seemed relevant in that regard. So, yeah, I think, I mean, there are well I, all work is intertextual right yeah. and the thing with with Thai in fiction is that it is very explicitly intertextual and that is uh in in it, that is foregrounded in um uh in in, it, in its nature uh but it also i mean it which doesn't mean that it is there, therefore hived off from other literature so uh the uh what's been uh one of the things that that uh I think several of us have fun with in the the the, the, uh, writing for Warhammer Forty Thousand or the Horus Heresy is uh, the the other references that will start to come in. Uh, So uh, Graham McNeil has all kinds of stuff with William Blake showing up in um, uh, in in his novel Fulgrim. Dan Abnett and Horus Rising, as uh, was as one point, um, uh, as as the the character Horus, uh, you know, uttering lines like you know, Father, why have you forsaken me? Or uh, you know, take this cup from me. So we have this character who is simultaneously in in the, the mythological uh, construction of uh, the Horus Heresy, has got the kind of Judas Satan um, role in that mythology uh, but uh, speaking uh, Christ's dialogue there so the intertextual not that uh, Abnet creates there is quite a an interestingly layered one and uh, so the yeah I think the uh, so, so all of those influences are going to uh, have a part now um, the, the connections be, between the the two uh, between that and, and playing in shared universes or, or how are we define them or in established traditions I think yeah there, there is a, a continuity there the obvious difference being that there has to be uh, a uh, th- there is a greater degree of control mm-hmm. Uh Over what's being done though I think uh, uh, certainly there'd be um, uh, other similarities to be established between the Italian uh, prose fiction and uh, the comic book industry for example Uh, where again you have different writers working with previously established characters uh, and uh, and or, or picking up threads that other people have written.
0: And to what degree do you see it as having some relationship or any meaningful relationship to the sort of fan fiction cultures that exist?
1: Uh, that's a really good question it it's um i and it's certainly uh, something that i've i've, I've, I've you know um, I've certainly kicked around in my head in, in, in some idle moments I mean there's I think the uh, the, the idea of working with previous uh, you know previously established characters i mean there, there's there's the, that obvious link there um, but I am um, I, I'm not sufficiently uh familiar with fan fiction to really um uh i think talk about that with any uh with any authority partly uh, and it's partly sort of d- deliberate that uh given the um the the, the sort of connections that, that that there that exist uh i've found it i think advisable to uh stay away uh, to, to to not venture into that world at all, sure. um, and and so I, I think it, I think it's necessary for me to do so.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. You know, if you think about the possible legal minefield that that could become, and so on. Um, do you think, just kind of, you know, looking again more at this idea that you're working in this field and you're working, you know, in let's say your own field um, of, you know, writing your your books that you're sort of independently going to different places for like, so you're going to do sequels to Gethsemane Hall in a manner of speaking, yeah. for example. Um, do you feel like there's is, or there's going to be like any real crossover, uh, from your Warhammer fan base to your, uh, you know, broader f- or, or maybe less broad fan base. Uh, <laughs> like since you haven't put out another book since you started Warhammer fan fiction or not, actually Warhammer tie in fiction, um, it's, kind of an academic question uh, yeah because
1: you, of course you haven't seen the
0: crossover necessarily i don't think uh, only,
1: yeah or maybe you know you have well i i mean uh, beyond the anecdotal um i wouldn't know uh yeah. i I, mean, I do know some um uh I've, i have heard from uh some readers who encountered me first as a writer of uh, of, of warhammer Forty Thousand uh fiction who subsequently read gethsemane hall uh, or uh, or have picked up uh, you know some of the, the the some of the short stories I've I've done since. So um, again, it's it's anecdotal uh, in terms of figures. I wouldn't begin to know. I remember uh,
0: when I was reading um, Dragonlance books uh, and Forgotten Realms and so on. You know, I, I remember following writers like I, I don't know if it was common. Uh, and then again, you know, I would be a Bad example, maybe. Like as somebody who you know is on their way to becoming a writer, but you know, I would notice who wrote the books. I would follow who wrote the books, like R. A. Salvatore. You know, yeah. I, I would follow. I would actually only read the Forgotten Realms books that he had written. Uh, and i mm-hmm. for, i encountered him somewhere in dragonlance or, or some other uh, i forget where i encountered him precisely no, originally. that
1: would it'd be uh, yeah the, forgo- the forgotten realms uh, uh, books uh, that's where he and his mm-hmm. uh, that that's where he uh, he became really known for um yeah i don't know if he wrote any of the actual dragonlance series i don't know but, uh, but I know but that for I... Is that. That's where um, that's where you'd, you'd find the bulk of his work.
0: Yeah, and I remember following particular writers. There were just so many books, uh, you know. Yeah. It's it hard to kind of not. Uh, you had to whittle it down somehow, and uh, you know, yeah. I, I found like I would follow certain writers, and uh, other times I would follow certain characters, right? And, and then it just you know, you'd accidentally sort of stumble across different writers. Um, but I think I, I'm. I'm it's an, it was an interesting. Uh, I remember reading Ninja Gaiden books at one point, you know, uh, Nintendo was putting out like these, at least they put out one Ninja Gaiden book. I remember reading the Star Wars uh, sequels uh, to the the movies that like the Star Wars book seven uh, or episode seven or whatever that had come out. Um, yeah, but at that time it, it was stigmatized. Like, uh, you know, this time fiction was very much stigmatized as something um, that, you know, quote unquote, serious authors wouldn't do. I don't, Know if that stigma still exists? I don't believe it does, but I'm wondering: Do you feel like there's any sort of holdover of this sort of stigmatization, or has it just kind of become in a kind of post, more postmodern culture? Has it just has
1: that distinction gone away? Yeah. Um, I that's another one uh, that that I've I've wrestled with. Um, I think there there is some, perhaps. Uh, the um, the International Association of uh, Media Tie-in Writers uh, was formed. Uh, one of the thing, one of its its goals is to combat that kind of uh, stigmatization. Um, you know, uh, Are you a member? Yes, I am. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. I was going to say uh, proudly so. Uh, the, um, yeah, you know, I I don't. I, I can sort of maybe speak to uh, sort of again sort of anecdotal perceptions i uh i mean i i do see you do see a lot of writers going back and forth be, uh, uh, between the two uh so i think there's probably much less um uh, of, of of a stigma um it's certainly not one that i have um I have to be no actually uh, I want to be careful just because I haven't experienced it doesn't mean it doesn't exist right Uh, or or perhaps it's one that I um, that, that I reject and that I uh I am certainly I am very proud to be a tie-in writer. Uh I well I know that there uh there's certainly that there, there is a perception out there of kind of of looking down on it. It does exist in the same way that uh all that that all genre fiction uh yeah. to greater or lesser degrees is stigmatized. Uh perhaps say crime fiction the least of of genre fictions to be uh so dismissed whereas uh you know, uh, horror and romance uh, particularly get a lot of stick. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, Thai and fiction does get um, uh, th- th- that as well. Um, uh, yeah, actually, you know, and, and, and I, I, having said that, uh, I, I remember, um, an acquaintance, uh, uh, someone once telling me when I, when I sort of proudly announced that I was going to be writing, uh, uh, Warhammer 40,000 stuff, saying, Oh, well, I guess you, um, you get what you, you, you take what you can get, I think was the <laughs> response I got. And it's like, Yeah, I'll take it and be happy about it. Oh. Yeah. Um, so it, um, i guess it's a question of uh where the perception exists um who uh where it's coming from um and to what degree uh you're going to take it seriously or not yeah Uh, or you know
0: as you say where it exists and you know does it even matter like you are the people with the perception people you anyone would care about for any meaningful reason like in the sense of you know like it is it is it going to matter to someone's career? Yeah. I, I can't imagine it could hurt someone's career uh, at this point in history. Although I know that, you know, uh, I mean, you know, I don't see people writing with pseudonyms. Uh, They're tie-in fiction. But, but again, maybe I wouldn't know. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, so, I think Kingsley yeah, I Amos mean, did a tie-in book. Did he not? Uh, he wrote he, a James Bond novel. Yes, yeah. So yeah. you know, there is a grand tradition of it in many respects. There,
1: there, there is. It's, um, I mean, my my entire academic and writing um, uh, life has been reveling in the uh, the, the the genres uh, or, or the fields that. Um, uh, that, that, that—at um, least from some perspectives—are looked down upon, right? Uh, you know, horror being uh, the uh, the case in point, point. Uh, and um, I I delight in that. Uh, I um, if uh, if this is looked down on, oh well, tell me some more about it, please. It's probably <laughs> something I should look into uh, because there is probably something a lot more interesting going on there than um, than than this particular attitude suggests. Uh, there would be and uh, so um, is there is is there a stigma yeah to a degree there I'm sure there is Uh, is it lesser than it was I think it has been Um, and uh, I I think it's no more justified now than it was then
0: well uh, I absolutely agree and thanks so much David Uh, I don't want to you know keep you too too long today because I know you've got to start writing another book I'm sure You've got five more on the go. Every time I talk to you, you've got a new book down, <laughs> it seems. Uh, but, uh, but you know, uh, great books. I mean, I don't, all, Frank, like, I don't know anything about Warhammer 40,000, except for, you know, reading some of these books, which are, you know, great. Um, my friend of mine was really trying to get me into it, but I was afraid to get into it because of the amount of money I could see myself spending. There's are so, because, you know, you can buy two cool toys and, like, ah, cool toys. Very, very
1: cool toys, you know? yeah. <laughs>
0: You know, me and uh, my money will soon be parted uh, by these cool toys, but, you know, the books are more affordable. And, uh, you know, the definition of of Pythos, uh, particularly, you know, I was, it it was a great read uh, in in this sense that I kept wondering where you could go. (laughs) Like, well, how can you escalate from this point? (laughs) Uh, But it kept escalating, you know, and, and, uh, you know, very impressively so. And you've got this amazing uh, sort of, you know, nightmare cathedral uh of cells i don't want to say too much about it but uh it's this brilliant you know uh, some brilliant you know strange things in there And i could see you even working like certain delusian concepts you know uh, under the radar there it was very clever and uh yeah i I definitely recommend damnation of pythos to anyone uh, as well as you know uh, these other uh, Warhammer forty thousand books. I mean, the, even if you don't care about Warhammer forty thousand, like you know, as, as frankly I don't. You know, they're they're great books, and and the sto- backstory of the Warhammer forty thousand is really fascinating. I've been reading like the wikis and stuff. And, you know, storyline is amazing. It's incredibly rich lore that they have for the yeah, zones. It really is. And literally, you know, forty thousand years of history <laughs> that <laughs> you know of rich lore to play around in. So I, I really you know tremendous sandbox uh, and that's uh, his sort of scope and scale and as you say really with all of these different uh, genres crashed into one another you know from orcs to demons to you know space marines i mean it's really a fascinating uh, chaos uh, that blend of nightmare yeah Uh, really really enjoying it great thank you yeah and thanks very much for talking to me and
1: uh, have a great day thank you very much uh, I guess I'll add that so the the next book probably by the time this is out oh, yes. is um uh so Yarick, the Pires of Armageddon that should be out uh by by late August and uh people can find me um on Twitter at at david underscore Annandale or on my website which is DavidAnnandale.com.
0: yeah and two other great intros to you know the David Annandale uh, Warhammer books are the uh, the two uh Character-based novellas like that, that Yark, Chains of Golgotha that you mentioned, and Mephisto and Lord of Death. I mean, I really enjoy those books as uh, again, you know, really you know, great uh, character-focused uh, reads that have uh, you know. And, and of course, the Yark has become this real, uh, you know, fascinating figure. Uh, you know, so I'm really excited to see a new Yark book too. Thank you. But yeah, thank you very much.
1: All right. All right. Thanks a lot, Jonathan. Thanks. Bye.
0: So thanks again to David Annandale. One thing I forgot to mention in the intro is that, uh, there's this great, uh, book anthology called the shadow of reporters in Maine. And Annandale is in that anthology. He's got a you know, story in it. Um, which, you know, also, as I mentioned previously, uh, kind of takes a Deleuze and guitar concept and kind of wraps, you know, a horror story, haunting story around it. Um, so that's in there. And he also, he also he wrote the epilogue uh, for that anthology. Now, I wrote the introduction for the anthology, and then I also have a short story in it as well, um, under the name Richard Crowe. So my pseudonym, my horror uh, author's pseudonym, uh, Richard Crowe. Uh, and the book is edited by Keith Cadu, one of my performer guests, and Dustin Girard. So uh, I recommend The Shadow of Portage in Maine if you want you know to read one of my stories and also read one of David Handel's stories. Otherwise, of course, you know, check out uh, those books that I mentioned uh, or some of the other 800 books that David has published. Um, hope you enjoyed uh, this episode. Uh, the show notes are at jonathanball.com slash um, 11. So again, it's jonathanball.com slash uh, 11. Thanks very much. Uh, and if you want to be a productive monster like David, uh, you know, I don't know all the secrets to doing that. I guess you kind of have to. Be some sort of mad, you know, psycho killer focus level uh, author, uh, which you know I guess. Suppose David is this guy is also by the way holding a full time job down. So I literally don't know how he does it because he also watches movies and things like he's hanging out, you know, having fun. So uh, if you want to get closer to the the ideal uh, productivity machine that is uh, David Annandale. You could do. Uh, first thing you got to do is get a writing schedule going. So uh, I can help you with that. You'll go to slash schedule uh, You'll get a whole article about why you should have a writing schedule. You can read it, uh, or you can just ignore it and start a writing schedule. Uh, sign up for the newsletter uh, that you can sign up for there, and it'll give you some tips. Little ebook for free. It's got some tips about how you can create and maintain a writing schedule. You need to create it, but you also need to maintain it. And that's the hardest thing in many respects. You know, anybody can get started on a schedule, but how do you keep going on the schedule? Um, so, jonathanball.com schedule. Uh, check that out. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Uh, and have a great week and keep writing the wrong way. <laughs>